The Blockbusters Podcast is a proud member of the Pod Bros Network. You can find us as well as other fine shows such as Sarcasm City, That's Delightful, Worst Millennials, The Ectoplasm Show, and Late Night Gamers at podbros.com. Now get ready to sit back and enjoy another episode of the Blockbusters Podcast. Tonight's story is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! Wait a minute, wait a minute, you ain't heard nothing yet. And uh, this is? Lilu Dallas Multipass. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Houston, we have a problem. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room. Now, where was I? Welcome to another Film Spotlight episode here at Blockbusters. I'm Paul, and Brian is unfortunately not able to join us. Uh, he had a few things going on, so I will be trying to steer the ship this time around. Um, you can be the judge as to how well I do that. Uh, real quick up top, just get a couple of the social meters out of the way. If you like us, what we do, so on and so forth, find us on Twitter or Instagram at Blockbusters, Facebook, all that good stuff. Just search for us, you'll find us. And I'm trying to get this all done really quick because we've got a great guest for you today. Uh, she is an actor, a writer, and the creator of the fiction podcast It Makes a Sound on the Night Vale Present Network. It is Jacqueline Landgraf. How are you doing? Hello. Hello, bloke. <laughs> bloke singular. Hello, yes. buster. Hey, buster. <laughs> yes, it, it works Hi. either way. Well done. I, I hadn't <laughs> even thought of that. I like, I feel like we should bring Buster, but like I wish people were, you know, saying like "Hey, Buster" more often. Yeah, well, I think if you um, if you can increase the sale of fedoras, you can probably start bringing that back. Yeah. I think. Well, Buster, <laughs> it's me. Yeah. Um, hi, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, well, great, happy to have you. Um, so, so why don't you tell people? A little bit more about who you are and obviously more about It Makes a Sound because uh, I'd quite like to talk about that for a little bit. So Great. I'd love to. Um, well, I am a, an amateur film aficionado, so, so I really definitely belong here on this podcast. <laughs> um, I am, as, as you so uh, eloquently introduced me, I, I'm an actress and a writer and a... A director based in New York, um, and my show "It Makes a Sound" just wrapped up our first season. There's a, a nine episodes in the very first season, and um, the Night Vale guys, Jeffrey Craner and Joseph Fink and Cecil Baldwin, we all know each other from a theater company called the New York Neo Futurists. We all worked together for many years. Um, doing late night downtown theater and kind of in a in a creative boot camp of writing and performing to a sometimes sober sometimes not sober crowd every <laughs> friday and saturday night in the east village mm -hmm. um and so uh, a few years ago when they uh when they were putting together the night Vale presents network they asked if i would like to write a podcast and i said yes and that's why i'm here tonight all right yes um yeah for those of you that don't know yes it makes a sound 
obviously available through the Night Vale Presents network, but pretty much anywhere all podcasts can be found. It's a type of podcast that you don't see very much of, really. I, I don't think I've run across anything quite like it, where it is... It's a fiction, but it, it really does feel real. So I must congratulate you there for how well you wrote that. Uh, and it's someone who is trying to remember and get the word out about this amazing artist from their youth that has vanished. And they're just trying to spread the good word and get as much information out as they can. That's and, right. Yeah. And it's... Uh, it, I don't really want to say too much about what's in it because I, I enjoyed so much learning as I was listening to the episodes as they came out that I kind of want other people to do that. But if you were able to sum it up in like a couple of sentences, what would you, how would you describe? Well, it, it is, it is about a woman who is forced to return to her sad hometown, which is, basically now an abandoned golf course community. And uh, she dis- she finds a cassette tape in the attic from 1992 and goes on a very tenacious mission to awaken the residents of this town to the, the, uh, the musician who should have been its most famous resident. And yes. um, as you said, I think one of the great uh, creative gifts that Night Vale gave me is a real opportunity to kind of play around with uh, an unfolding narrative and, um, you know, go back to, to a radio play in some ways. And so there's a lot of uh, unfolding mystery in the show. And I feel like it seems to kind of start out as a solo show that then kind of blossoms into an ensemble piece. Um about an unlikely creation of a band. Yep, I would say that's a very good way of explaining it without explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Like, you know, please listen to the show. We yeah. we would, yeah, we hope you listen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if uh, yeah, if only one person that listens to this goes and downloads, we've technically done our job. But uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully more people than that will at least give it a shot after this. Yes, yeah. tell your friends, tell your enemies, <laughs> um, tell tell celebrities <laughs> to tweet about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is about. I would say it is about music and the power of music and memory. Um, and I think the things we rely on our memory for and also kind of that imp- the impossibility of memory um, and how it's like trying to pin a, a wave upon the sand. Um, so that has been kind of a, a, a big exploration of it. It certainly has a lot of uh, 90s nostalgia, but yeah. I don't think it's primarily, I think it's kind of about like how do you bring... Um, you know, how do you bring this this kind of pivotal memory of your late childhood, early adolescence into your present? And and what is that? Um, what's the collision of that in some ways? Like kind of what, what mess does it make when you're trying to revive the past for present purposes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, that, <laughs> that and at least for the first half of it, 
a woman's mission to be able to play a cassette tape, which is yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You need you need some some tools to play a cassette tape, and Deirdre yes. doesn't have that for uh, for a while. Yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, and it's not as easy as let's say you have a VHS tape. Still, you can take that to many places, and they'll transfer it onto a DVD for you. They don't. They don't have that for cassette tapes, as far as I'm aware. At least it's not as popular as VHS to DVD. So yeah, it's uh, it's very fun to listen to this journey, or not much of a journey, at least to begin with. Uh, to... I know <laughs> a futile journey in some ways. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, that was one of the things that was really fun about about making it is kind of thinking about you know, uh, the world that I grew up in, which was like much more of, you know, an analog world. Yeah. And, and what is lost, you know, with that in the digital world, in some ways. Um, And yeah, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun things to think about with that. (laughs) Yeah, um, I, I say let's probably leave it here before we actually get into really analyzing it for to people that may not have heard it. <laughs> and, actually, yes. yes. Well, please listen. It's on uh, um, itmakesasound.com and on iTunes and Spotify and Radio Public and Stitcher and all the places that you can listen to a podcast. It's right there for you. Yes, yes. Go, go listen in... I have no idea what the runtime of this is going to be, but uh, let's say thirty-ish minutes. <laughs> You're never getting out of this. Nope. <laughs> yeah, this episode is now stuck on repeat. So good luck. Yeah, uh, good luck. <laughs> all right. So we obviously got you here. I now I got you here uh, to talk about a film that you love and a film that you hate. Yes. And uh, we shall. Well, I, I would normally say we should start here, but uh, obviously, uh, full disclosure, I happen to know that the films you've chosen are from 1992. Yes, I yes. love a theme. I yes. love a theme. <laughs> so, uh, I, most people would say, well, that's not fair, you're now slightly biased. Um, and that would be true if I'd actually thought to do any research whatsoever on the films that came out in 1992. First of all, I don't even, like, I haven't seen you. I don't know you. Were you alive in 1992? I was indeed. I was, uh, uh, let's let's see. Uh, so, yes, <laughs> I, yes, very quick, man. Uh, I was born in 87, so I was four and five in 92. So... Okay, watching so many films. Oh, yes. Uh, well, all the top films of 1992. <laughs> Oh yes, definitely. Uh, you couldn't get me out the cinema. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I it's not Aladdin, which is the Disney movie of 1992. Ah, yes, I did consider uh, talking about Aladdin because that was a you know seminal event for me. But ah, okay. But it's not Aladdin, so I'm sorry, four-year-old Paul. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I'm sure I can get by. And, uh, <laughs> and yes, for for the listeners' sake. Yeah, let, let's hope I've at least seen one of the films that you... I hope. <laughs> All right, so... It'll be a we... long four hours. Yes, it will. <laughs> we always start with the film that you love, and I'm going to attempt to guess at the genre. And uh... <laughs> All right, uh, because Brian is not here, uh, one of my two guesses will be what he always goes for, which is Buddy Cop. 
Absolutely not. not. Yes, I was going to say, not that I know of any buddy cop films that came out in 1992. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I do. You want to know one of the great one that came out in 1992? Okay, sure. Stop or My Mom Will Shoot with Sylvester Stallone and Estelle Getty. Okay. Um, I I definitely have not seen that one. Okay. <laughs> it's also not that. It's not Aladdin, and it's not Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Okay, we're narrowing it down here. Um, uh, okay, uh, so let's see the other one. The other one, what should, what should I pick? Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I may as well go for the one that uh, I almost always go for, and I'm just going to do the broad net of sci-fi. Nope. Okay, and uh, that's about average for the yeses that we do so and now you've exhausted your genres uh, yes that is it that is all that we know um, so go on then what film did you pick oh i go right to that i can't even just give you the genre and then and then see if you can guess it let's do that yeah, well, yeah let's do that why not okay okay it's a rites of passage genre sports sports <laughs> Right to passage. What is it, audience? You know what it is. You know what it is, audience. A a sports rites of passage film. Oh, God. Now I'm just thinking of, like, Angels in the Outfield and stuff like that. Um, About 1992. No, I I have no idea when Angels in the Outfield was in. I just know Judge Gordon-Levitt was in it. Um, (laughs) Love him, though. Yeah. Judge (laughs) Gordon-Levitt. All right. Uh, Here's another hint. Better off. Hear that call. No? (laughs) Okay, yeah, I'm, uh, no, I, I mean, I'll bet you anything you're going to say it, and everyone's going to go, of course it was that, and I'm going to go, yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, <laughs> Happy International Women's Day, everybody, because we're talking about a league of their own. Yes, I definitely have not seen that one, <laughs> but... You disappoint. Yes, I, I do apologize, it is one of probably several thousand films that everyone else has seen and I have not, but, uh, uh, but that (laughs) will, is it because you don't like women? No, I take exception (laughs) to that. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, great. great. Do you like baseball? Um, to be perfectly honest, I've never been to a game, but I have absolutely nothing against the game of baseball. Sure, I don't like baseball, but I <laughs> do love a league of their own. All right, well, there we go. So it turns out people that don't, <laughs> even people that don't like the sport can enjoy this film. So that, yeah. that's a, yeah. a good a good thing going for it then. Um, so, all right, then the first so thing that... About it, you don't know it. Well, we that's fine. Call, call in people. Yes, yes. We'll <laughs> no wait. one's talking into a void right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyone that's a fan of Night Vale will be very used to that. Uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, go on. Should why I don't you film? sell me on the film? Tell me oh, why I and everyone else should. Oh, okay, see this. Paul. Well, look. I mean, thank God you're from Britain and we were allies in this war, but it's. <laughs> 1943 and all of our american men have gone abroad to fight to fight for for the justice and and for uh to fight for america but what about baseball what's going to happen to baseball and so somebody has a wacky idea to see if some women can play and so it's actually it's based on the true story of the uh, America, the All American Girls Professional Baseball League that started in 1943, um, and uh, it was the first professional women's team, and they did play um, 
you know, through through the entire war. I mean, you know, it's like they show in the film, like Joe DiMaggio heading off overseas, um, it, you know, and all, and all the greats. And so this is kind of this, the story of the women's league that started. Hmm. And actually, like, I think in the film, they they kind of fictionalize it that it was kind of only happening through the war, but it actually did go on until 1954. And the movie is kind of framed in the present day of 1992 when the Baseball Hall of Fame was uh, was celebrating the 50-year anniversary of the creation of the, uh, the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League um, yeah. and, uh, you know, dedicating part of the Hall of Fame to them. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't you want to see it? I, I kind of do now, yeah. Um, it's amazing. Maybe. I mean, and it has Gina Davis and um, Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell. It's like Rosie O'Donnell's one of her first films. Um, uh, and Tom Hanks, of course, and John Lovitz and Bill Pullman in this, like, totally side, non-existent part. <laughs> it's awesome. It is an awesome film uh, it, i mean yes based on that cast i mean madonna yes that was about the time when she was starting to try and get a, a film career going so it, i guess it doesn't surprise me she was in it but uh is she like uh one of the the major roles in it yeah i mean it's a real ensemble the the lead is gina davis and like okay. freaking gina davis what a woman she's like <laughs> helen of troy how does she look like that? She's like six feet tall, a redhead, yeah. this goddess. I don't know how much you know about. Do you know a lot about Gina Davis? You don't know face. Uh, you don't what? know the move. Do you know uh, things about Gina Davis? I, I mean, I have seen her in Thelma and Louise. I've seen her in the remake of The Fly, and recently we also reviewed Earth Girls Are Easy. So I, I finally got to see that film. So I've seen her in that as well. So yeah, she's definitely seemed like someone that. Like, knows what she's doing around comedy, but obviously Thelma Louise, she's fantastic in that. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I'm sure she, not to uh, pun absolutely not intended, but knocks it out of the park in this one. <laughs> she did knock it out of the park. But, you know, I feel like one of the reasons, there's so many reasons that this was one of my favorite movies of my childhood, but I really did look up to Gina Davis. And I think, like, like one of the 101 Gina Davis 101 trivia facts that that many people know. Do you know this? Is that she is a member of Mensa? She's she's a genius. Yes, I, I believe I've I've heard that one before. And she also, I think she went. I don't. I think she's like an Olympic or like pre-Olympic archer. Of course she is. Of course. She is. And then also. I know a lot about this film, but so everybody in the film, like to audition for the film, you had you had to play baseball. So Penny Marshall directed it, right? Of Laverne and Shirley, Penny Marshall, and you know one of the main things she knew is that like the entire cast were really going to be baseball players. So every time, every every time you see them play, they're actually playing. They have like every now and then a stunt double, but it's mostly just really these these actresses playing ball and. Um, Cool. All the injuries are real injuries, and there's some like really gnarly injuries in the film, and they're <laughs> all real. Like they just played. I think they they filmed most. They filmed part of it at Wrigley Field in Chicago, my hometown. Right. Um, and but I think most of it in like rural uh, Indiana somewhere. And um, I read that like like Lori Petty, who's in it, like she threw 
she threw more than most major league baseball players do in a season, like during the filming. But anyway, (laughs) my point is about Gina Davis, who I guess came on last minute because Deborah Winger was going to be the lead. Okay. And apparently Deborah Winger uh, tapped out when Madonna came on board. Scandalous. (laughs) So the rest of the cast had been training for months. um, And Gina Davis like in a week became like professional level baseball player. She's amazing. She's a genius. She's an archer. She's an actress. She's a baseball player and she's gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a very quick Google search here about the, uh, the archery day. And she, as you say, she was an archer. She went to try to be in the, Olympic, the U.S. Olympic archery team in the 2000 Summer Olympics. She placed 24th out of 300 and didn't qualify. And she later admitted that her introduction to archery was two years before the tryout. That is crazy. She's crazy. She's like Katniss Everdeen. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. She she's <laughs> almost got a. She must be slightly savant level. Yeah, totally. That's insane. That is insane. It's totally insane. Yeah. Um, I love Gina Davis. And I, when I rewatched the film this week in preparation for this podcast, it just gave me such happy feelings. <laughs> I was like, oh, seeing her like milk, she milks a cat. Oh, it's like, I'm just going to talk to you as though you're also a fan of the film. I was like, man, when she milks that cow. <laughs> <laughs> when she does that those splits and catches this like impossible ball yeah paul <laughs> yeah i i i think you've effectively sold this to me that i'm going to try and see this in the next week or two because oh uh, it's good 3.99 rental on itunes oh there we go you're there subscribe <laughs> it makes a sound yeah <laughs> now yeah. that that's professionalism <laughs> folks this movie like there's so many things about this movie that i feel like were were really important to me first of all i saw this for the first time in 1992 i was nine years old my mom um my mom and i drove like i said i'm from the south side of chicago and we were driving my great grandmother to visit her friend goldie goldie in uh outside of gary indiana and so, like, I remember this day so vividly. Like, we dropped Goldie, it, we dropped my Nana off with Goldie, and Goldie had like a gold couch, also, I remember. And then my mom and I were just like outside of Gary, Indiana in 1992, and we stayed at this motel. And I remember as a child being like, oh, now I'm experiencing danger. It was like a really seedy, <laughs> like side of the highway in weird, like outside of Gary, Indiana motel room. And there was, I, I very vividly remember as a nine-year-old, like stains on the carpet, like this unusable bathtub, like stains on the uh, bed. And my mom, I remember put like all the other furniture except the bed that we were sleeping in front of the door. <laughs> <laughs> because we were in danger um and so and there was nothing to do like nothing to do so we found the one cinema around town and we drove there and they were playing a league of their own which like i said was filmed in indiana so i feel like there was like some indiana pride of showing this movie and it was being played on a projector like a 35 millimeter and we were the only people in the movie and 
I just, it felt very sacred to me that like that, that was part of the sanctity of seeing a movie for the first time. And it, it was an amazing movie for a young girl of nine to see with her mother, you know, and it was so funny. And it was so like these badass women playing sports. Um, but also we just saw it all alone in the theater and <laughs> the movie ends with actual footage of the actual baseball players from the time so like now they're like and it's like their reunion and they're in their 70s and 80s all these women who who were part of the the professional league from the 40s and 50s um that's cool and so you hear madonna's song this used to be my playground and so that song is playing while you're like watching these women play ball and I just remember, like, sitting there weeping, weeping, hearing <laughs> <Madonna> the song. <laughs> and still to this day, like, there are so many times where just apropos of nothing, I'll just be, like, walking alone somewhere. And I'll be like, this used to be my playground. Like, it's such a weird <laughs> song. Just sad, nostalgic song that actually has a lot in common with podcast I wrote. <laughs> like this used to be my childhood joy <laughs> well that and you basically covered what was going to be my next question which was like what about it speaks to you and it's obviously very obviously a, a really personal experience there kind of linking this in your mind so that that really cool like you don't hear I, at least i find you don't hear too many stories now of people that uh say they had this experience when they went to the cinema and that's why the film means so much to them uh because i think and it's a little weird uh and i don't know exactly why i think this but going to the cinema used to be such a a big thing i mean obviously i know back in the like you know 40s and 50s and 60s uh like it was it was a huge thing like people would go in droves to the cinema and it would be massive and now it's just like everyone will go to the big blockbusters and then you just get these other films that just seem to just come out and people might go and see them and they'll see them at you know 10 o'clock on a thursday morning and it's just no one really cares too much about it anymore and there's, I know. Not, there's not that much of a spectacle around it so i, I love hearing Stories like that. The the only film I ever went to see when I was one of two people in the audience was actually Bicentennial Man. I went <laughs> with my friend uh, to go and see it, and we were we got there and we were like down to the wire of when it was going to start. And we, were, we were like, oh, we hope there's a ticket left. And we bought tickets for it, and we walked in, and there was nobody there. So we sat down and we watched Bicentennial Man, and halfway through it, we decided we were going to move six rows forward. So we just got up, went six row forward, sat down and watched the rest of the film from there. It was just, and it, I'm never no, going to forget that. I know. I mean, I, you know, I live in New York and I work mostly in the theater. And so I still feel that sacredness about going to plays, you know, like that, that communal special event where someone is performing for you, you know, and, and yeah. or something irreproduc- irreproducible about that experience, you know, because it's, it's really not going to be the same night tonight because it's a new moment and it's live. But I do feel like I have such a connection to the movies from when I was young and I don't really feel that any, anymore. You know, it was like, I thought it was so special to go to a movie theater. And when I was thinking about A League of Their Own, I was like, right, I know that it was on 
35 millimeter, I assume, because it was just my mom and I and the projectionist. Right. So, and I really miss those days too. Like, you know, yeah. now you have to like go to this, it's like that has to be almost like a, a gimmick of something of like a theater. I don't know. I, I, I can't think of a theater, you know, who still projects the films like that. Yeah, I assume they're very far in between at this point. Um, one of the reasons I really want an Alamo Draft House to come near here is because they at least really treat the cinema going experience like as something sacred. Like they have a policy of you're not allowed to be on your phone during the cinema. I think you effectively get one warning, and if you're seen on it either talking or using it texting, you're out. Like, yeah. So it's and yeah. they have loads of little things like that, and it's like like that's what it should be like. But... I know. I was gonna say like I was gonna say that an Alamo draft has opened in Brooklyn a little over a year ago, and that has sort of brought back the special experience of go, going to the theater. Oh, you know, lucky. but it, there's still there's still like now there's also more bells and whistles. You know, it's like also yeah. I'm drinking alcohol then <laughs> at the Alamo Draft House and like eating fried pickles and and there's cool trailers. It, it, it's I love it there. I love that we have one. It's really exciting, but just the purity of of just going to the theater and sitting in not very comfortable seats and it was just all about the film. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, well, the weirdest seat story I have was uh, myself and a friend, we went to go and see something. I'm not even sure what it was. I believe it was Triple X. I'm fairly <laughs> certain that's what it was. I don't know the film Triple X, but is it what it sounds like? It, it, it is not. It is a Vin Diesel action film. Oh, man. What a disappointment. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, although <laughs> it, it, it was weird. It's got Ramstein on the soundtrack, which was... Very odd, uh, but also kind of set the tone for the film. Uh, but what was really odd about it was we bought our tickets. And in England, if you buy tickets at the cinema, you buy your tickets and then you reserve the seat because you're buying the seat for that showing. That's how it works in England. There's no, you just buy a ticket and then you go and find a seat. That right, right. Okay. So we, we did that and we walk in and our seats are taken. And we we had no idea why, and we were about to kind of walk out and figure out what was going on, and we saw there were two seats that had been taken off and were just resting against the back wall, but they weren't attached to the floor. So we looked at each other, and we sat down in those seats, and we watched the film from there. Nice. <laughs> and, and it was just it was slightly surreal, and so I like, I really enjoyed the film more, I think because it was just a different experience. Uh, yeah. I mean, the film itself isn't fantastic cinema, but sure. I enjoyed it. Oh, so. But going to the movies, you know, it should, it's, it's, it is an event. It is one of the great, like, and pleasures of yeah. life, I think, of being entertained and, you know, being in one place with other people and, and hearing a unified story. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It's, uh, yeah. And yes, hopefully the people at Hollywood and the people that run cinemas are listening to this right now and are changing their minds and going back to... Oh, yeah, the... I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I've been meaning to write a letter yeah. Hollywood. Okay. Um, I'll, ho I'll help you draft that if you want. So. <laughs> Thank you. One of the other things I wanted to say about uh, A League of Their Own, which you should know, is that, like, like I said, it's kind of framed in you know what was then the present day and so we're seeing the older versions of these women who we come to know and love through the film 
And I feel like it's one of the, I can't think of a lot of other movies like this, but they didn't, they didn't age up Gina Davis and Lori Petty and Madonna. Like they cast older actresses as them. And I really love that. There's something that was really effective about that. It was like seeing, you know, seeing older women um, reflect on what was, you know, for the sake of this movie, the the high, a highlight of their life, the, a, a time that was really important um, to America in a lot of ways. But what's also strange is that they cast the older actors, but they dubbed in Gina Davis's voice. So there's this weird uncanny effect where you're you're seeing clearly this other woman who looks, you know, like good casting for what Gina Davis could look like someday yeah. uh, when she's in her 70s. But you're hearing her voice and it's so bizarre, <laughs> but really effective. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> a few years ago, I was in a play reading with the woman who plays old, older Kit. Kit is Gina Davis's sister, um, okay. who's like a significant character in the movie. And she's like, she can't live up to Gina Davis. Like, she's just not as pretty as her. And she's not as talented as her. And she's living in her shadow. And she's this like scrappy tomboy who comes into her own through the league, a league of their own. Um, <laughs> and at the end of the movie, you see older Kit for a brief moment. And I think that maybe she has a line like, Dottie, I think that maybe what she says, she might say Dottie. Um, <laughs> but I was in a play reading several years ago with the actress who played older Kit. And I swear to God, like I have, there's very few times where I'm like around <laughs> movie stars that I, I like really, you know, geek out. Like I'm a, I'm a fangirl, but yeah. being in a play reading with older Kit really meant a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> Did, the did second you... I was like, oh, old kid. <laughs> did, did, did you manage to like rewrite the script so that she had to say Dottie? <laughs> I wish. It was some like Edward Albee play. Um, ah. Great in, but like, you know, and she in the movie was like the equivalent of a day player. You know, she barely had any part, but it really meant a lot to me to see her and work with her because I love this movie so much. Well, cool. I'm, I'm glad that you got that chance. It's, uh, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, something I wish that uh, uh, I could. I don't know who it would be, though. I, I, I genuinely don't know which actor. I, mean, I used to know before he died, but uh, it would have been Robin Williams. But oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting who, it, you know, especially in New York, it's like, you know, we, you see you see actors all the time. And I feel like it's kind of the New York thing to just, like, be cool. And I'm an actor, and it's like, all right, you know, it's like, great, you know, you're an actor. But it is funny, the people that you, like, are then like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love you. I love you. But Robin Williams, that, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. 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 Well, the... Uh, the next question I normally ask is, uh, do you have a favorite moment or scene? But uh, it feels like just the entire film is your answer to that one. Um, but it, it, is yeah. there any particular uh, thing that, like, no matter what, that's your favorite from it? Or... Hmm. It's funny. Well, I mean, it's like there's the classic, do, do you know, like, 
do you know the classic line when people say a league of their own do you know what people usually say i'm i mean i'm willing to bet if you said it i would go yes i know that but uh, i i don't have it linked in my head to the film so what what is it it's there's no crying in baseball are you crying (laughs) crying in baseball like that's the classic (laughs) moment and it is a great moment um but i (laughs) something in the similar way that madonna's this used to be my playground loops in my head there's this moment where one of the players i think the character's name is alice i don't i don't know what the actress's name is but it's just like this this amazing you know it's like all so many sports movies or rites of passage movies have the the tr- you know essentially like a training sequence that's often the most exciting part of the movie you know like yeah. just how they go from underdogs into overdogs you know <laughs> and <laughs> um and a league of their own has a great extended sequence of that so it's very exciting to watch like all to music and you like kind of rapidly see them go from you know like a not watch team into to america kind of taking the girls seriously and that's like interspliced with you know kind of like propaganda black and white footage um that they that they would play in movies you know like to kind of promote the the league yeah but there's this one part where you see this this character alice like lying on the bench with this huge bruise on down her ass like and down her leg and it's disgusting it's like this foul bruise because one of the things that like they have these girls have to play in these little skirts Right. And so, they're, you know, they're really playing baseball, but and they're sliding into home and everything um, in these tiny skirts with bare legs. And so, you know, like I said before, those injuries are real. All those actresses had those injuries. Yeah. Um, but that really had a, made a mark on me when I was a nine year old Jacqueline, because I was like, right. It was like to get anywhere. Like, you've got to have some ugly bruises. <laughs> and I swear that that, that moment is just like part of the montage, but it's just like kind of grisly bruise that she has all the way down her ass really flashes into my mind when I've come against like difficult things where it's just like, yeah, like you got to You got to take the hard knocks. Yes. That was your introduction to the school of hard knocks right there. Yeah, just... totally. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, you got to slide. Yeah. Oh, I think the um, yeah, one of the mottos of of one of the teams, it, it's like written on their their tour bus is dirt in the skirt. You got to get some dirt in the skirt, ladies. <laughs> All right. Yes, uh, a, a very hard knock life. Yeah, it's a very hard knock life, and also uh, obviously in the modern times, a very unPC slogan that uh, would get somebody fired. I'm sure. Definitely. Yes, but they use it as a celebration. Like they're yeah. like, oh, we're tough. Yeah, you you basically got to own it, otherwise it's just gonna be used against you. So yes, so yeah, <laughs> I like that. There's a lovely moment, like you know, it's it's a movie of the '90s, and it's talking about you know this this basically true to history moment in America, and so the the league is is all white women and there but there is like for a movie in 1992 there is one nice like intersectional feminist mo- moment where um a ball goes off the field and there's a group of african-american women standing on the other side of the fence and this woman like you know has the ball and pitches it to gina davis and it's like clearly this amazing pitch and like gina davis is like you know um 
like shaking her hand because it was such a fastball. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that that's a nice, it's kind of, you know, the, the whole movie is showing the journey of these women in the fifties to get to be taken seriously um, as a sports team. And then I feel like it has a little bit of awareness. Um, it certainly could use more of a moment, but that, I think that's a lovely, I remember that, striking me pardon the pun uh, <laughs> I remember that being struck by that moment um as a little girl as well just like right it's just like this the cycle of oppression continues <laughs> like, like we've got a long way to go yes <laughs> it's well, a lovely that... it's so funny it's so funny John Lovitz is so funny Tom Hanks is good Rosie O'Donnell's so funny in it it's just great Right, yes, I'm definitely going to look out for this one. <laughs> you are going to, you better, and then I'm going to interview you about it. Okay. Uh, right. I, I, I'm more than willing to do that. Uh, we'll just have to figure out when and where, I suppose. <laughs> right. <laughs> All uh, right. So that's uh, a leak thrown. One of my yeah, faves. Yeah. Well, uh, I, normally, I, I end it by asking about um, if there isn't a sequel, would you want one? But this seems like something that you just, there is no sequel. It's a story about this time. Yeah. There's nothing else to say. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing like the continued story of the reunion when they're all in their seventies and eighties and continue to play ball together. I want to see that. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's see. Uh, now, would you go the stereotype old people playing sports where everything's slowed down just a little bit, like that, rather than running to first base, they're hobbling no to first you base. Have to see, like you should see that. At, you know, in the, and like I said, during the end credits, you're seeing the actual league who are now, you know, old women, and they are amazing, and they're like running the bases, and they're getting up in the umpire's face <laughs> they're amazing they're hitting home runs like it's they're amazing oh yeah i i have no doubt that they are they were and possibly even still they are like that i was just thinking that if imagine sitting down in a, a, a hollywood script saying going for the sequel for this and they're like okay so we're going to do the old people here. It's <laughs> like, all right well we've got to have the one person trying to run the bases with a zimmer frame Gotta, <laughs> <laughs> with her oxygen behind her, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, someone's using their oxygen tank as a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah, love it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if someone decided to make a parody sequel to this, uh, maybe you could do that, but no, yeah. It sounds totally. like this film is a very good standalone, so. It's, I uh, think it's a standalone. It's, it's, it's a moment in time, you know, yeah. <laughs> and a real dedication to these particular group this particular group of women you know in of a moment right I yeah love it. that's cool I, i'm very glad that uh, we got to talk about that one <laughs> so. Me too i hope you see it i very rarely promise but i promise i will see this one i will i will get figure must, that out and get it done you owe it you're an american now Yes, once I finish watching season two of Jessica Jones, I will get right All right, All right. okay, good. <laughs> it's a good follow-up. <laughs> All right, uh, so we now need to move <laughs> into the slightly more murky waters of yeah, the film that you murky. didn't like. <laughs> yep, so... well, I'm sticking with 1992, people. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, to yourself, what did you hate in 1992? You might have been a fetus, but what did you come out of the womb hate? 
What did, what did I hate in 1992? Let's see. Um, yeah, what did you hate when you were four? Yeah, um, probably being taken away from the television. Uh, I, I, I feel like even back then, I was uh, very much a, a fairly lazy person that enjoyed just uh, sitting in front of the TV for hours on end. So definitely that. I believe my taste buds have changed, so I pretty much hated all fruits and vegetables. Uh, oh, but, uh, sure. Uh, Good British man. Yes. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, not having the list of every film made in 1992 in front of me, I probably couldn't give you a film off the top of my head. Uh, so uh, what about you there? What, what were you disliking in 1992? Well, I was, okay, I was in fourth grade. No, um, how old are you? I was nine. Yeah, I was in fourth grade. Oh, fourth grade was rough. I went, <laughs> I went to 12 years of Catholic school. I went to the largest all-girls Catholic school, high school. Oh, I'm sorry um, to hear that. In the country. I loved high school. Mother Macaulay <laughs> High School on the south side of Chicago was a, a great blessing for me in my life. I loved it. My grade school was another story. <laughs> <laughs> they were such disciplinarians. They were, you know, it was all, it was the 90s, but they were still living in a bygone era of like, on the brink of corporal punishment. <laughs> uh, so, so you had the penguin from Blues Brothers as your teacher. Yeah, like it was rough. And I had... I had Ms. Miller that year, um, and I constantly had detentions. And I'm a really, I was really, I'm like a really good student <laughs> and a really good girl. But I got detentions all the time, and it was just because I would, I would do all of my homework, and then I would always forget it at home. It was like, <laughs> it was like psychological somehow. I just couldn't get it together, and I do think that like. I think that the teachers were all just like, what is up? Like, we know that she's doing the work, but she never brings it in. So my fourth grade consisted of a lot of staying after school for detention and cl literally clapping erasers. Okay. That was what we did in detention. We we scrubbed the floors and we clapped erasers. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> I know. I, I really hope that if you did both, you did the erasers first and then the floors, because otherwise yeah. you're just making no, more work. Go outside to have the erasers. Don't be crazy. <laughs> There's this moment actually in my podcast. It makes a sound. Have I told you about it? <laughs> I don't think you have. Why don't you do it now? <laughs> but there is a moment because there's a uh, one of the characters in the show is ten. So I have actually thought a lot about what it is to be a nine or ten year old. And he gets handed chalk, and he's like, "I've I've never used chalk." <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's true. Like you know, like what do you really have to use chalk for anymore? Yeah. Um, but I have a lot of of chalk triggers. <laughs> Because I spent most of 1992 in a cloud of chalk. All right. Hmm. And I was not watching this movie that, I, that I'm that i saying that I hated in 1992 because it's rated R. Okay. So that's a hint. <laughs> do you want to know the genre? Or do you, are you going to guess it? Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I don't think I could guess based solely on that. It's not um, up. It's, it's, uh, sorry? <laughs> It's not Buddy Cop. Oh, no, yes, not Buddy Cop. Not sci-fi either, <laughs> mm -mm. I would imagine. Um, hmm. 1992 R-rated film. Uh, I don't know. G give me one more one more hint here. Let's see if I, I can guess Stiletto. It. Stiletto heel. Hmm. Oh, Paul. <laughs> okay, I think I know what it is. I just, if I'm right, I haven't seen it either. Um, 
It is Dustin Hoffman in it by any chance? No. Okay, so that's not what I was thinking of. But uh, okay, go on then. What? Well, the genre, surprise listeners, is slasher, slasher fic. Ah. <laughs> hmm. It's no. Like, it's, it's like I can kind of see it, but I just can't. I can't formulate what it is. Uh, that you're gonna have to tell me. Happy International Women's Day! It's single white female. <laughs> <laughs> I. You know what? I've never even heard of this one. You haven't heard of it? No, I have not. Oh my god! I feel like it's such a it's such a like um, it's so in the zeitgeist. It's such a colloquialism to just say like it's like, are you single white femaleing me? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I I've heard of the the single white female kind of as a cliche, but I I never even heard of this film. I I didn't know there was a film called. I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me if you. Pretty much put any two or three words together, you're going to end up with a film title. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as a current single white female, I feel misrepresented by this film. Okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, uh, okay, so, oh, Paul. Um, It would be so fun. Wouldn't it it be so fun if we knew these films together? (laughs) I know, it would be. And the sad part is, if I knew this film, I would then have to watch the film that you're about to tell me you hate. So... (laughs) I know, but I have a, it's a complicated... We'll talk more. We'll talk more about it. I feel complicated okay. about saying that I hate it. Okay. No, that's but, fine. That's fine. Um, basically, uh, the description cannot better be described than the the actual, like, IMDb description, okay. which is exactly the ad that the lead character, played by Bridget Fonda, puts in the classifieds, which uh-huh. is... Single white female, seeks female to share apartment in West 70s, non-smoker, professional preferred. That's it. She places an ad for a roommate. Guess what? Mm. The roommate's psychotic. (gasps) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So it's Bridget Fonda and Jennifer Jason Lee. Okay. And it's a roommate from hell. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and as you do yeah. <laughs> but i think like the reason i feel like the reason that it's become really part of the, like pop culture is that the way it goes down is that <clears throat> jennifer jason lee's character the roommate like slowly appropriates the identity of bridget fonda's character it starts easily enough you know like suddenly she's buying similar clothes um but then she seems to take an interest in Bridget Fonda's boyfriend and then in the classic scene she takes her Bridget Fonda is like fabulous what happened to Bridget Fonda by the way do you know anything where is Bridget Fonda anyone (laughs) is anyone keeping tabs on Bridget Fonda (laughs) Uh, I honestly don't know. I I know she's still alive and uh, she's married to Danny Elfman, but uh, oh, outside, of, yeah, outside oh, of that, I don't know uh, what she's been doing recently. Uh, yeah, what happened to her? Yeah, Such a sweetheart. Uh, know. You know, she's from she's from Hollywood royalty. Surely, sh- surely, an act of nepotism could get her Oh, uh, my mom's been watching a lot of Grace and Frankie, that Jane Fonda show on Netflix. Uh, yeah, my wife has started getting into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, and Bridget Fonda, that, that she's Jane's niece. She should get a part on that. <laughs> um, it's very creepy, though. I mean, I have to say, like, watching the movie, I re- again, I really prepared for this, and I rewatched it this week. And 
up until Jennifer Jason Lee enters the movie, I thought I was watching Jennifer Jason Lee. And I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> like that's Jennifer Jason Lee. And who I was watching was young Bridget Fonda, not young Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> but kind of like the classic turning point moment is Jennifer Jason Lee's character, Hetty. Her name is Hetty. Hedra. Mm. <clears throat> Hedra. Takes Hmm. Hedra, I know, weird, right? Um, takes Bridget Fonda's character, Allison, to the salon as like a treat. And she's like, we're going to get our hair done. <laughs> and Bridget Fonda like has this very specific like end of 1980s, early 90s Vogue look, which is she has this like total bowl hair, red bowl haircut and like flaming red. It's like a real yeah. statement haircut. And... Um, so she's getting her hair done and then like down the stairs walks of the salon walks Jennifer Jason Lee, who's gotten the exact same haircut and dyed her hair to look exactly like her. So it is really creepy that like by the end of the film, they do really look alike. Hmm. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of, it's kind of like sparking something in my head of, and, of your psychotic uh, roommate who took your identity? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yes, my name's actually Jim. Uh, no. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I swear there's a there's a film I've watched that um, it is it obviously not quite like this, but uh, it was another film of uh, someone trying to take someone else's identity. It was like a really old film. But, uh, well, is it? I mean, there's the Ingmar Bergman film Persona with Liv Ullman, which is an amazing film. And I this, like, like, fancies itself to be Persona, but is, like, so not so pulpy. <laughs> I'll say that, that could be it. I, I believe I watched that, uh, like, oh, over a decade ago at this point in time. I'm a little fuzzy on the details. But, yeah, that that's probably what was... Uh, yeah, in another league, you know, like that's a true, like psychological, deeply artistic picture, and yeah. this, this, this tries to play in that world. <laughs> <laughs> it's really like a pulpy, slightly porny '90s film. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. But it, it... I have to say, like the first time I, the first time I watched this was at some sleepover, like at Megan Elwood's place when I was in grade school. <clears throat> and I don't even think we got through the whole film, but I remember at the time being, you know, scared. It's like, it's a, it's a good enough thriller to be scared of it. But I feel like even then I was like, I roll. Um, but then, and so I was like, right, great. This is the movie I'm going to say that I hate. But then I watched it again this week and I'm like, no, I don't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually kind of riveted by <laughs> It's bad. It's bad, but it's a good. It's like a good bad film. Ah. It would, it would be like a good, um, you know, kind of chintzy drinking game film to watch. Yes, uh, I mean obviously not mystery science theater esque, but uh, that that type of thing where you just get a bunch of people around, and you just make fun of it while you're watching it. Yeah, and the women. I mean, Jennifer Jason Lee does not have to be as good as she is in the film. She's really good. She's really. She's a good actress like um she's so natural and and quirky she's such an interesting character actress and she's quirky and she's i feel like she's kind of she's subtle enough like i just feel like the film does not hold up for them and they are doing their best being these kind of like women who turn on each other you know it's so cliche um yeah. 
but I think that they give better performances than the movie offers them. Right, yeah, it's uh, one of those things where the material they were handed was not necessarily the best, and they were able to to make it their own. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, obviously I've been kind of living in in 1992 research for a while, <laughs> and one of the things that's interesting, in, especially in, like, looking at the films of 1992, is <clears throat> one of the things that was said about 1992 in America is it was like 1992 year of the woman and when I read that I was like really like I don't remember (laughs) I know I was young but I don't remember like in 1992 suddenly being like wow I'm overwhelmed with women in power oh it's too much you know it's like everything amazing is happening for women (laughs) Um, hmm, that that kind of feels like someone like someone high up somewhere was just like well, we should probably try my bone. I think yes, it it was the year of the woman. They they deserved it. Well done. Yes, and let's well, move on. Yeah, but I guess I guess it was coined that because it was the year that the most females ever were voted into the Senate. Huh. There was like six women in the Senate, and it's the year after. You know, I, I know this is. I know you're a Brit, so yeah. <laughs> you have no interest or care of this. But like, <laughs> 1991 was the Clarence Thomas Anita Hill trial, um, where she accused him of sexual harassment as he was being, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, considered for the Supreme Court. Right. And then the year after that was this like year of the woman where suddenly there were more women in, in Congress uh, than ever before. But it's also interesting then looking at the movies from 1992 because there's a lot of movies that are like, <laughs> these psycho bitches from hell. <laughs> like, single white female, the hand that rocks the cradle, um, basic instinct, like like the crying, uh, the crying game is not really in that. But like there's just a lot of like... Oh yeah! Look what look what happens with powerful women. <laughs> They're gonna kill you with a stiletto to the eye. Yeah, it 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 really is interesting that things like that tend to come in waves, and it feels like, especially if this this year, the year of the woman came after that court case, it must have just caught the attention of all the writers, and they were like okay, like something's coming and men are going to fear that this is coming. So how about we start writing this stuff? And so yeah, they're going to have an outlet. I wonder, I was looking at the list. I was like, wow, there's, there's a remarkable lot of like sociopathic women thrillers. <laughs> but this one, yeah, this is interesting. I mean, so, you know, it's like the first shot of the movie is like does creepy right like all you need to see is like a little girl putting on lips like you see this kind of like sepia toned little girl putting on lipstick and then the camera pans out and her twin sister's there and they're both like putting on putting makeup on each other and being creepy twins (laughs) (laughs) and like smiling into the mirror together so you're just like okay like immediately you just get these like creepy twin girls in a void putting on lipstick and then the next shot is this huge apartment complex on the upper west side of manhattan and i just feel like immediately you think rosemary's baby do you know rosemary's baby i i do uh, i i really enjoy that film 
Yeah, and I just feel like the immediate message of these films is like, don't move to the Upper West Side. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like nothing good can come from living in these ornate old apartment complexes on the Upper West Side. Like, because yeah. this place in in the famous Ansonia Apartments, which is in the um, West Seventies, and then the uh, Rosemary's Baby, of course, is at the Dakota, which is on Central Park West, right. where John was shot. Um, and they both are very like they're similar places to live, and it's and they're so incredibly ornate and opulent, um, and nothing good goes down there apparently. <laughs> <laughs> apparently not. I mean, it, it, yeah, it really does feel like there's all of these giant buildings that are so grandiose, and so everyone's just like. Well, I'm never going to live in that thing, so therefore it's the murder house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something bad must be happening there. Totally. Like, yeah, well, beware, yuppies. You know, like, <laughs> you're going to die here. You're going to look really good while you die, but you're going to die. And, um, well, some people would take that, unfortunately. Yeah, it's amazing. So, like, Bridget Fonda, I can't, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I was really hoping you and Brian would be able to, like, hopefully riff with me on this because right. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's so interesting, isn't it? Like, watching things from the 90s or even the early 2000s where they're, like, dealing with computers. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> Bridget Fonda is, you don't really understand what's going down with her, but um, she's kind of, she's, like, some amazing software genius. And she has this effectively a laptop when no one should have laptops in 1992. And it's like this like futuristic white um, briefcase looking thing. And she just like pulls it out at a restaurant and shows her client this like incredible (laughs) software. Um, And you don't really know what's going down with her. But like right away, you kind of see that her boyfriend, her like lover, Stephen Weber, good old Stephen Weber, uh, classic like yuppie hero of the 90s um, is like you know talking they're talking about their wedding but then she hears on the voicemail or the yeah on the voice uh, on the uh, yeah, voicemail I guess it was called voicemail back then right I believe so answering machine um, she hears on the answering machine a message from his ex-wife and his ex-wife says on the message like what you, you like you come over and you have sex with me today and then you just leave <laughs> so, of course like they break up and I, I love that I, I always <laughs> love the really cheesy which is so like cute. like you know you know when you came over at 10.03 <laughs> and it's like yeah like, it's like you know, really... we had sex several hours ago <laughs> Um, <laughs> so that <clears throat> is the, uh, you know, the instigating incident of the movie, mm-hmm. because poor Bridget Fonda also happens to have a rent-controlled apartment on the Upper West Side. Of course. But she doesn't want to be alone there. And so she feels like it's a good idea to get a roommate to help her fill this incredible apartment. Uh, because she can't be alone. Yeah, because you, you, you can't do that. You just... <laughs> yeah, because you can't be a totally successful software genius who's so beautiful alone in the yeah. Upper West Side. Yeah, what? No, no good will come from that. No, you need a woman to accompany you in your life. Um, <laughs> so she gets a roommate, and then things unfold from there. Yeah, as they usually do. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, yeah. Uh, so, so what? Obviously, uh, 
you don't you say you don't hate the film you just kind of got this uh, regretting animosity towards it but uh, <laughs> so so what what specifically did you remember about the film before you rewatched it that made you like really zone in on no i hate that film <laughs> um i was just like what i just remember well i just remember thinking when i was young Somehow I feel proud of myself in this way. I'm like, right. Like I, I felt young, even young. I was like, this movie is cheesy. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's like this like women on woman on woman horror, right. you know, of like, surely, surely <laughs> your best friend is backstabbing you. And literally, spoiler alert, like <laughs> the villain dies because she literally gets stabbed in the back by Bridget okay. Fonda. Of course. What, I mean, how else in a film like this is the, the killer right. going to die? Like, um, I mean, and it's epic. It's like the 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 epic climax of like who's going to die lasts forever. It just goes on and on and on. <laughs> um, but the other things that I feel like one remembers when one is watching this as a young person is you can never forget watching someone die from getting a stiletto in the eye. Yeah, I, I would imagine that would stick with me. Yep, that really sticks with you. And then the other, <laughs> the other thing that really blew a uh, young Catholic schoolgirl's mind was that at the height of her intensity, Janet, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh, by the way, Jennifer Jason Lee turned down the part of Dottie in A League of Their Own. Oh. <laughs> presumably to do this movie instead. I say, Jennifer, <laughs> wrong choice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> She's probably still kicking herself for that. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> in sort of the height of her mania, she goes to Stephen Weber's hotel room and Steven Weber has conveniently been away on a business trip. Uh, so he was, not, he was not there when the roommate had gotten her hair cut exactly like Bridget Fonda's. Mm-hmm. So, um, of course, Jennifer Jason Lee just has the keys to his hotel room and crawls in there while he's sleeping and wakes him up with a lovely blowjob. And he you know, stirs and is excited by this. And then there is the moment where he realizes that it's not his girlfriend, Allison, but rather her roommate, Hetty. And he like, there's like this moment where he like attempts, makes a half-hearted attempt to push her off, but then seems to decide instead to come. (laughs) Okay. He's like, fine. (laughs) What am I going to do? <laughs> it's really hard to understand this moment. And like, because <laughs> it's very wrong. Obviously, it's, it's incredibly wrong what she did, but he did have somewhat of an awakening in the midst of this and did still profusely ejaculate into her mouth. Um, <laughs> I dare you to somehow write that into the second season. <laughs> it makes it sad. I can't. I cannot. No, yes. I, I, yes, sadly. No. Branding. Yeah. I mean, I, if you can somehow get profusely something, <laughs> like, you could just word that. And yeah. uh, then we'll now know what that actually was. 
<laughs> I know. It's, and But then he does effectively pay for his whatever that moment was by. Yeah, transgression, I, I suppose. Was, yeah. <laughs> he quickly is punished for that by dying with by stiletto, death by stiletto. Yeah, that's um, a, hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that 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 feels like a moment that we could really write theses on for our gender studies major. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, you could yeah trying to think of in the way that a, a student at university would be writing a paper. You could argue that it's a subversion in the horror film trope of people that have sex need to die. Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, No, seriously, I think so. Yeah, so the catch-22 of the fact that the person that kills you is the person that made you have a a sex act, and then, but yeah, it's... uh, yeah, I it, think that, I'm giving it too much credit. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, that's what that I waver with this. This is why I'm like, how much do I hate this? I'm like, what is? Because I do feel like it is an interesting case. Study, you know, it's like it, it is an interesting moment. It's not a good enough film to actually be considered worthy of this. You know, it's like one one should spend their time thinking about Persona by Ingmar Bergman. But yeah. um, but it's interesting. <laughs> Another thing that I love, I did not remember this, but one of the joys of rewatching this film was that, you know, you know that nothing good can come out of little frumpy Jennifer Jason Lee's character. And she's she's strange and, uh, you know, very dependent on Bridget Fonda and very, very nurturing of her right away in a way that is like lovely and somewhat uncomfortable. (laughs) But she buys her, she buys Allison, she buys Bridget Fonda's character, a puppy, a Labrador (laughs) retriever puppy. And there is this like very small moment where early in the film, she's like, Bridget Fonda has like gone out for the night. And so she's really pissed off that she's left her for the night um, alone in this gorgeous apartment on the Upper West Side. And the puppy is like trying to get her attention and she just kicks the puppy. (laughs) Just like casually kicks the puppy. And it's definitely like, like Chekhov, if I don't know if you know Anton Chekhov, but like there's kind of like the famous... His famous rule is like if there's a, if there's a gun on stage in the first act, it has to go off by the third act. Yeah, the smoking gun. Yes, and I was like, right, like if you kick a puppy in the first act, like that puppy needs to get thrown out of the window soon, and it does. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> and I did totally forget that part, but as soon as I saw her casually kick the puppy, I was like, oh, this puppy, nothing good is going to happen for this puppy. No, and it. It's kind of the sad fact of uh, the. Uh, I mean, would you say this is classed as a horror at all, or is it just like a thriller? Yeah. I don't think. Is it, uh... No, it's, um, it's slasher. Yeah, it's, slasher is horror, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Uh, True blue slasher fic. Because yeah. the uh, the the issue when it comes to animals in these films is if there is either a cat or a dog in these films, chances are something's going to happen to him. Like, especially if it's like, oh, look, here's a new puppy. It's like, well, no, don't... Couldn't you have got a goldfish? Like, at least... It's kind of sad, but at least if a goldfish ended up falling to a death, 
yes. or being stabbed or something. It's like, well, what? Like, yeah, it's a goldfish. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's that that puppy wasn't going to make it. Um, yeah, there's some. I mean, there are some nice. This is like the 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 nice drinking game lines. Like Jennifer Jason Lee does have some nice zingers, and she acts it so well. And like, <laughs> there's this line where Steven Weber, I think, shortly after aforementioned intercourse moment, <laughs> says something like. You're out of your skull. <laughs> and she just she just like has this amazing look on her face as she takes that in. And she just goes like, Yeah, well, sticks and stones. <laughs> I love that moment because you could feel like it could like it, the expectation of that was that him alluding to her being crazy was going to, you know, really offset the killing. But instead, it's like, yeah, well, sticks and stones. Yeah, and it, it would have only been made better slash cheesier if it had been, yeah, well, sticks and shoes. Yes, exactly, exactly, Paul. <laughs> it's like you've seen this film now. Um, but it's got all the tropes, you know. It's like, can you guess, can you guess the, the root of of why she's a psychotic killer from what I said. Um, well, Remember what I said about the beginning of the film? Yeah, and Chante, I would imagine that it has something to do with uh, her being one of those twins yep. that you mentioned. Uh, right, Paul? <laughs> uh, <laughs> let, let me see, let me see. Okay, <laughs> so she, she is slash was a twin. Yep. And uh, she's psychotic, which means mm -hmm. that she's trying to take over an identity. Yes, uh, that that tells me that she killed her sister, and uh, now that's kind of just she's trying to latch onto other women as much as possible to be like surrogate sisters who will always disappoint her and they'll always fall apart. <laughs> uh, I mean, if I had to write a cheesy. Um, yeah, you know so you're nice, so. <laughs> um, yeah. very, very close. That's very close. I don't feel bad about spoiling any of this because it was 1992 people. So if you haven't seen it, like you're out of luck, you know, like yeah. you, you did it to yourself. Um, but she, I, I don't think we're meant to think that she killed her twin, but her twin did die. Okay. Um, and there is some sort of non sequitur, hard to decipher line about like when you're a twin, one is always going to be prettier. Like you can't be an identical twin. One is always going to be prettier than the other. <laughs> and the other person and the other twin ends up doing all the work. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I think that's supposed to be the point of the movie. <laughs> I think that that line is supposed to be the psychological underpinning, but I actually don't even get the literal of that. Like, one twin is always going to be prettier, and the other one does all the work. What? I, I don't know. I mean, I think... I'll bet you anything if you were to go to a psych ward and say that line, they'd all be like, well, yeah, yeah, that's how that works. But, yeah, I don't... I, I haven't got a clue where to start with that. <laughs> yes, I don't want to dismiss the psychology of this. You know, it's like, what do I know? But I just felt like that line, and it's like, it's different to just talk about a mental illness versus, like, talk about the script of this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, I, I wasn't attempting to 
talk ill of uh, of that. Uh, no, I don't mean to diagnose her, but I just was like, wait, I think that to this screenplay, that is a very significant line, but it doesn't make any sense. Nope, not in the slightest. Yes. And then when it's all said and done and our protagonist survives, I feel like there's a clear message at the end. It like really does tie up in a slight bit of a Hallmark card where there's like a voiceover with Bridget Fonda. This is, this is, this is a reason to hate it. Um, where it's like, I forgive myself. Like I try every day. I try to forgive myself. I try to forgive her, Hetty. I try to forgive Hetty for Sam's death. Sam, you know, blowjob stiletto. Like (laughs) I try to forgive Hetty for Sam's death. And then I follow by trying to forgive myself because I've seen what happens when we don't. I'm like, that's the last line of the movie. All right. No, yeah, that that feels like uh, uh, like they forgot to print the final page <laughs> when they had to do the dialogue. Yes, and I and I know that that connects to the twin. Like I, you know, like I get the overarching thing there, but like I'm like, really, I don't. That's not the takeaway I have from the movie. That like this is what happens when you don't forgive yourself. It's just like this is what happens when you have a rent control department on the Upper West Side and you need a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's either going to be this or you're going to be besieged by talking cockroaches and if you get that <laughs> reference i'm very impressed <laughs> yeah so there's you know i'm not i'm not totally hating upon the film but like there is very questionable woman turning on woman action and a lot of cliched like semi-point oh there's also this moment that i really I don't know. If I was a producer, I'd be like, just explain explain this moment to me again. Um, <laughs> where apropos of nothing, like we we know Hetty to be this like real homebody whose whole identity is formed by you know in relation to the roommates that she's with. Right. But one night she goes out by herself after she gets her hair cut. She feels really great, and she goes out by herself. And Bridget Fonda follows her. And she goes to this BDSM club. And as a New Yorker, you know, it's exciting to see movies that take place in New York because I'm like, oh, right. Like, I know the staircase she just walked into and I know what that is now. But I also know that it used to be in the 90s, this like famous gay bar called The Manhole. But it's meant in the movie to be this like really bizarre, underground, intense, um, you know, BDSM club. And I'm like, what is she doing there? And it doesn't even show her doing it. She's just like at the bar talking to some guy. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so I just feel like the movie, of course, like it's a it's a horror movie and it's about women. But they keep trying to put in all this, you know, this sexuality into it that doesn't all add up. Yeah, that, that kind of feels like it's, a, it's about the same as... Uh, um... I don't know why this flashed into my head, but from The Simpsons, when Homer's looking for a new bar, so he's not allowed to go to the Moe's, and he's just say, hmm, something about this bar doesn't feel right. Hang on, this lesbian bar doesn't have a fire exit. And then he just leaves, <laughs> like, that just flashed into my head when you were trying to describe her just in this random bar talking to someone. Like, yeah, right, I, it's like clear that there's a lot of, of interesting sexual things going down at this bar, but we don't see her engaging in that. She's just like having a drink at the bar. <laughs> but like Bridget Fonda like has followed her, has like literally taken a taxi and is like, follow that cab. Uh, <laughs> it's this whole side, like we take like 
six minutes to follow her there. And we don't know why. We have no idea. <laughs> so literally, really, they could have just cut that out of the film entirely then. So it takes six minutes to follow her and then doesn't come up. Nothing comes from it whatsoever. So. Yeah, I think that they're like, try- I don't know. It's like they were trying to show some. I, I really don't understand the intention. It's like it seems like maybe they were trying to like in this kind of very commercial film, trying to show some sort of like seedy underbelly of New York. But one, it doesn't seem seedy at all. It just seems like, oh, like cool things were still happening in New York in the 90s. <laughs> 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 um and it doesn't offer any further explanation of character except that she's it, it's not it's like things are not as they seem with with Hetty. But well unless there's a point earlier in the film where she said, "Oh no, I don't frequent places like that. I could never." Right. As uh, like unless that line is in it. Yeah, that no it, that kind of feels like they're just trying to say, "Hey, look, she's weird." Yeah, and I hate that message. It's like, it's not like, it's not some sort of, it's not perversion. Like, it's not anything. Like, who cares? She went to an underground bar downtown. Like, who cares? There's cool things going on downtown. (laughs) (laughs) Don't try to make that part of whatever her her, her psychosis is. Like, that, that's wrong. Yeah, and, uh. Uh, and for those of you that haven't seen the film yet, take there's cool things that go on downtown. Take it any way you want, really. That could, uh, yes, especially in this film, apparently that really could have any meaning. <laughs> yes, and New Yorkers, the the stairway she walks down is on 14th Street and ni- 13th Street and 9th Avenue. If you're interested. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so yes, see this film and then take a, a little walk. And uh, take a photo. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you, and you know, it's like you know. I'm curious as to you know this um, particular thing that you do on your show anyway, which is like you know have people choose a film that they hate because it's like clearly these films are also worth talking about. I'm not saying oh, to yeah. anybody don't see single white female. It actually is like an interesting, very bizarre period piece, and it's not good art. <laughs> <laughs> But it does have strange things happening that feel maybe of the time. Yeah, well, it's it's one thing that, uh, like, when I came up with this, I thought it would be a fantastic way of kind of getting to know people through the framing device of what do they really like and want to champion and what do they really not like. And, like, obviously we get to talk film, so that that's always a lot of fun. And then when it comes down to it, it can be cool to talk about a film that you really like but it can be just as fun if not more so to discuss something that you definitely uh, definitely dislike <laughs> so definitely there's so, just yeah. so many loose ends in this movie that it's like <laughs> come on what well i i think we should probably start wrapping it up so why don't we leave the loose end for people to discover on their own yes uh, please tweet us about it <laughs> uh so well uh to that end then if people did want to get a hold of you how would they do that oh well i do have a twitter handle it's uh at jack landgraf j-a-c-q-l-a-n-d-g-r-a-f um and then also our twitter handle for it makes a sound is at imas podcast so i-m-a-s podcast um and i'm on all the social medias and stuff you know the usual. 
<laughs> you know, you, you know. You're listening to this podcast, you know. <laughs> you're savvy. <laughs> Hip people, I'm sure. Yes, yes. Um, and yeah, in all seriousness, yeah, I like I reached out to you because I adored your podcast. It was I, I thought it was so well made, so well written, and I would love for people to go out and find it. So anyone that hasn't listened to it, please at least download episode one, give it a listen, see if it's for you. Hopefully it is. And uh, you can thank me later. Uh, thank you so much, Paul. That's so nice of you to say. I really oh, appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I, uh, I'm hoping that season two comes around. Uh, obviously, uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how everything falls into place. But uh, here's hoping that it, it works out for you. Thank you. We do have things percolating. Nothing I can really talk of much right now, but there's the show, like I said before, it does really change in style and, and there is there will there is music and so we're we're kind of working on some music stuff right now and have announcements oh. coming up. So All right. Well I will keep my eye out for that. Uh, Thank you to hear your follow-ups when you've seen these movies <laughs> yes yes i i'll i'll need to uh, kind of i think take a weekend and just uh, <laughs> just watch them and see uh, see what i think <laughs> so, i'd really if you watch, watch these back to back i might do the whole uh, core uh, of female leads of 1992. Yeah, I think I would do single white female first, followed by sure. legal. Sure, sure. Because uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather yeah. end on a high. Yeah, have a palate <laughs> cleanser. Yeah, uh, good. All right. Well, uh, again, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a blast. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Sophie. Oh, no, no problem. Uh, Best of luck to you and, and happy film watching. Oh, well, well thank you. <laughs> and uh, uh, once again, anyone that wants to get a hold of us, you know where we are. Just search Blockbusters. We're there. And uh, thanks one more time to Declan. Great having you on. Hey, thank <laughs> you. No problem. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. Uh... Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.